from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. Sherry Smith on the RiderFlex podcast. Hi, Sherry. How you doing? Hey, Steve. Nice to meet you. Doing great. I love your background. I, don't you? Now, I wish you were really there right now, like in some warm, sunny place, but it's nice to think about it. It is. And I am in Colorado and I do live in the mountains above Boulder. So I have lots of pine trees to look at out my office window. Very nice. Okay. So you live uh, up in the hills above Boulder and then what your office is in Longmont. So you drive down to Longmont when you do go to the office, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly it. Very nice. Did you, uh, man, you probably did the fires this last uh, fall, late, late summer fall. Was that a killer for you? Yeah, we were evacuated briefly, and um, one of the fires was about two miles away when it was closest, so it was a little scary, yeah. Ooh, 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 man. Wow, okay, well, I'm glad you weren't affected, though. I'm glad you weren't, you, you know, you didn't have any property damage. Um, so, hey, interesting story. I did, I studied you, obviously, studied the website, studied your history, looked at some, looked at some interviews, and so love your story, want to get into Indigo, um, but before we do that, Give us some more personal stuff. Where'd you grow up? Family? You know, talk to us a little bit about Sherry. Yeah, I actually grew up most of my childhood in rural Michigan. So a tiny little town of about a thousand people, about an hour north of Lansing called Carson City, which pretty much okay. no one's ever heard of. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. And uh, yeah. My parents were um, Air Force veterans, and my sister actually is went to the Naval Academy and still in the Navy. So lots of military in my background. Wow, very good. And then, um, so you're used to winters, of course. So winters in Colorado are no big deal because you grew up in Michigan. And then, how did oh, you yeah. decide to, to? You went to school in D.C. somewhere at, at American University. How did you decide to go there, and why? And how did you decide what to major in? How'd that happen? Yeah, so when I was young, I really wanted to be in politics. I've always been one of those like kind of dreamer people that wanted to change the world. Okay. And, uh, you know, at the time I went to high school, I went, I graduated high school early. So I was 17 in college and okay. uh, very sheltered. We're talking like we're very conservative, you know, uh, religious. So I had not really done anything in my life. And I thought, oh my goodness, if I go to DC and get involved in politics and work for Hillary Clinton, I can change the world. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you went to, that's why you went there. Okay. Very good. Did you stay out? Did you it live is. on campus or did you live in DC while you were there? Both. I lived on campus my freshman year and then my rest of my time in DC, I lived, um, you know, various places around Georgetown and Tenley town. Well, George, hey, going to college there and like being a young college student in Georgetown, that was probably fun, right? It was a good time. It was fun, but I didn't really, I wasn't like a fun college student. You know, I was very like, I was working hard. I was working, you know, I was working at the State Department, which was actually an office that was started by Hillary Clinton called Vital Voices. It's now an NGO that works on women's rights around the world. And one of gotcha. my dear friends is the CEO. And uh, so I worked there and I had a job at a gym and I was in school and trying to again get through it as fast as possible so I didn't have a lot of time to like have fun but I had a blast learning stuff and meeting cool people from around the world okay when I want tell me about this Japanese study stuff were you were you thinking 
I'm going to work for the government and I want to speak Japanese because that'll like, what was the plan? What was, what, what were you thinking? <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to go, I was going to go into the foreign service. Um, and in order to take the foreign service exam, you have to have another language. Ah, and okay. I was obsessed with Japan and ended up studying abroad there and um, did ended up not going into the foreign service, but it was definitely a big part of my path. I see. All right. Well, walk us into your early career then. You finished school. Walk us into your early. Well, first of all, after you get your bachelor's, there's a little gap there between your, your, your master's and your bachelor's. But walk us through some of your early career. Yeah, so I, again, I started, you know, kind of working for the State Department and going down the Foreign Service route and then um, realized that government was actually quite difficult to change the world. I had some of those uh, kind of almost horror stories that young women talk about in government and thought, oh, this maybe isn't like a good fit for me. And so I actually went into ministry um, and oh, really? wanted, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. so that really changed my pathway. I, I ran a very large youth group in a teenage youth group in Northern Virginia and worked um, as an executive assistant for, you know, a ministry leader and uh, did a lot of ministry stuff at the time and then kind of went down that path for a while. And um, on the side, um, I did executive coaching to like make extra money to learn. And I've always had a lot of like really weird jobs. I've always actually been an entrepreneur, but didn't know it because I had never heard the word mm. until my mid twenties. So um, it was really eye opening when I heard the word entrepreneur and I was like, Oh, entrepreneurship's a thing. Oh, people start businesses. Why didn't I get a business degree? I would have liked that so much more. And, uh, <laughs> just uh, started doing little businesses. Uh, the guy I was working for at the time in my mid twenties, I had moved to Colorado by then already had been married and divorced and left the church. Um, and so then uh, he was a kind of a serial entrepreneur. He helped me. He had already started a pepper grinder company. And that's really where I learned how to start a company, how to sell a product, how to get a product built in China and get it shipped over here and distribute it and all those fun things entrepreneurs get to learn. Now, was this, was this lookout medals in Vail? Is that what you're talking about? Is that what that was? Yeah. So Craig was my boss at the time. He had a, he was from a metals family. He had several metals companies and um, he was into pepper mills. And so he funded uh, a pepper mill company that I ran. And okay. Let me know. Let me just take time out here. You're, you're in, you're in DC you're working for the ministry. You're also doing a little bit of coaching there, whatever. You, and you had gotten married. Okay. And it's, you, and then you have this complete, like, you're like, okay, I'm getting divorced and that happened and I'm leaving the ministry and I'm moving to Colorado. Had you, by the way, had you been to Colorado at that point? Had you been West? <laughs> so I had driven across the country once when I was 21 <laughs> <laughs> and I had been to Colorado once and okay. I had a friend from childhood who lived there. So I only been there for two days. So, so what, um, what you just like your stuff's yeah. in a car and you're like driving up to, you're just pulling into Vail thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do for a living, but here I am. Like, how, how was it? <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Literally exactly what happened. And I had 200 pound dogs in a bright red Toyota echo. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. So you get into Vail and you're like, and you meet this guy. How'd you meet this guy on the ski slopes at the restaurant at the bar? Or what, like, how do you meet this guy? <laughs> sure. 
sorry, my husband just pulled in, so my dog was barking. That's um, all right. So, uh, so actually, it is interesting. I was looking for a job, and um, I was literally at a bar, and he sat next to me at the bar, and he was like, he was a pretty young guy as well. I was like 24 at the time, and he was probably 30, you know? Okay. He's yeah. like, hey, do you need a job? I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. But that's kind of my whole life. I mean, that's literally uh, every that's single funny. thing in my life has happened that way. Yeah. That's pretty good. Okay. So he's all right. So you start working for him doing various things or does he immediately put you in sales? How does he put you in a quote function? How does he decide what function to put you in? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So he, um, he put me into sales and we were doing metal sales at the time, but I was also kind of like doing everything for him. So it's kind of like, yeah. His assistant, I had to do QuickBooks, which you really, if you knew me, you would know that he should never have had me do QuickBooks and his <laughs> CPA confirmed this years later. Um, but he was just like, here's QuickBooks, learn how to receive our metal in from Russia. You know, it's like, wow. okay. And then sent me flying around and um, going to different metals distributors and selling metal. And How about that? Okay. All right. Very okay. good. All right. All right. Walk. And then. And then what happens? You worked for somebody else for a little bit, a couple of other stops before Indigo. Give us the short version there. Yeah, so the short version is really um, since I was 21, even when I was still in the church, um, I had been interested in assessment technology and learning about corporate coaching. And I went through um, the Coaches Training Institute, their whole coaching program and all sorts of like self-help things, you name it. You know, I've done a whole bunch of crazy you know, personal development stuff. Okay. And, um, and so on the side, I had always been doing like having some executive coaching clients and using assessments to support them in their growth. And so that's um, mainly what I did on the side throughout my whole career. I see. Okay. So that was always a passion mm -hmm. for you. And you had been doing that on side. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So this whole mm -hmm. coaching and assessments, that's, that's, that was in, in there for a while. All right. At some point, are you thinking, I want to do this for a living. I want to turn it into a company. How does, how do you take the leap? Yeah, it's interesting because I never, like so many people said, Sherry, you're incredibly gifted at this. Like, why don't you just become a, start a consulting firm, you know, like start a consulting company. But I just, I don't know, maybe because I was young, maybe because I didn't feel ready. I just was not that interested in corporate consulting. And so, okay. um, until I decided to start Indigo, um, I, I didn't start a formal company. I always made money on the side. I actually helped people write books. I mean, I've done a lot of really interesting things. Um, but Indigo was my first formal, you know, entrepreneurial venture. The Peppermill company was, was kind of like getting my feet wet. And really, I did run the whole thing. Craig funded it um, and supported in it. But that was, um, you know, my practice. And that company still exists. Um, the woman who bought it still sells grind pepper mills and you can buy them. So. How about that? How about that? Uh, yeah. How about that? Okay. So, so what happens? You're laying in bed one night and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to start Indigo. How does, how does, how does it happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was at a really, um, you know, another phase of my life. So I had met my current husband now okay. Uh, okay. when I was uh, 31, I think. Okay. And uh, we met in Boulder at this point. I had moved to Boulder. I had gone back to grad school and finished it. I had already done one year. So I finished another year at Georgetown and then 
moved to Boulder and met my husband. We got married. And then I was like, oh, well, what do I want to do with my life now? Like, I have a totally different life. And, um, you know, it's not just me and the dogs. And, and so I was working, um, I had flown to San Francisco to do an executive coaching session. And the guy I met with there, who was probably in his mid 50s, told me he was a crusty old sponge, and he was never going to learn anything. And it was too late for him. <laughs> but he says, but my daughter, you know, I have a 15 year old daughter and she would love this stuff. And I really want her to be happy and find her purpose. You ever thought about working with young people? And so on the plane ride home, I thought up Indigo, which wasn't called Indigo, by the way, at the beginning, but I thought up the concept of Indigo. And did you immediately search for other companies that specialized in youth where you're like, Oh, I wonder who else is doing this. Uh, you know, were, were there competitors? I mean, was it a crowded space? Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of people in this space. I mean, there always was, I think the the difference is, is that the space I call it, um, there's a kind of a, a framework called axiology by this guy named Dr. Robert S. Hartman. And he talks about the dimensions of intrinsic, extrinsic, and systemic. Okay. And so the people in this space are really focused on extrinsic results. So what's the career you're going to get? What are the goals? What's the money you're going to make? You know, those kind of extrinsic things. And school systems are very systemic. So they're just like, what can we buy to check boxes? Right. And I wanted to do something that was very intrinsic, which is about who's this person? What's their value? How can they know who they are and choose a life path based on their intrinsic gifts and talents and purpose? Mm, okay. All right. So you start developing this thing. Uh, are you, do you bootstrap, do you bootstrap it? Do you take on investors? How do you get started? How do you, you know, t- you know, how do you get through those early, the early period? Yeah, I was lucky because my husband has been involved in startups for a long time. So I had access to a lot of angels. Ah, so good. we, we, we raised a few hundred thousand to start okay, and just use that money to, you know, uh, work with Target Trading International to co-create the first assessment and start figuring out how schools work, which is an incredibly complex ecosystem and, you know, start to develop our products. Great. Okay. So you had some early angel money there. Have you done a big series A round since then, or you just took some angel cash and you've kind of just lived on your own cash since then? Yeah, we've taken in angel cash here and there over the past eight years, but we've never done a formal round. We do have a little bit of uh, venture money through an organization called Learn Launch, and they're an accelerator program for education technology companies. But we've never actually done a formal round, and I've come to realize after eight years of doing this that I'm not like exactly a good fit for not, not exactly. I'm not at all a good fit for venture capital. So, <laughs> so we're kind of on the bootstrap, you know, realm yeah. right now. Are you still in control? Can I ask you that? I mean, did you, you didn't? Yeah. okay. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Okay. Very good yeah. for you. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Cause once you lose control, I always, you know, you know, the writer flex podcast, I'm sure you did homework on us. We've had a ton of entrepreneurs on here. You know, once you give up control, you're kind of just an employee, aren't you? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I would have done it differently. I actually heard one of your podcasts and I was like, oh, I wish I would have heard this. Yeah. You know, when I started, because they were like, if you can do anything, avoid investment. And I would have actually 
gone more of the philanthropic route because we do have a 501c3 and we we do a lot of incredible nonprofit work. And so I think I would have um, focused more on the nonprofit work um, if I had started and not done the whole investment work because I've spent a lot of time, energy and tears trying to fit the venture model and I'm just not a good fit. <laughs> Why don't you, now's probably a good time to give us an overview for the listeners. Why don't you, you know, Talk about your nonprofit, talk about Indigo Education. I guess it's two different entities, maybe, or whatever mm -hmm. nice overview you want to give us the overview as the company stands today. Go for it. Yeah, so the Indigo Education Company, what we do is we do college and career readiness and social emotional learning with mostly high schools. And we're in 26 states and about 200 high schools around the country. And we really help the people in the schools to focus on the students, right? That intrinsic that I was talking about earlier. We really believe if you know who the students are and the students know who they are, not only do they do better academically, but they do better in life and they can make better decisions. And it's very, very empowering that way. So that's really what Indigo Education Company does. And then the nonprofit side has done a lot of really interesting projects that take the education side and expand it to economic development in a community. And so really, how do you help communities recognize their strengths and know who they are and then create entrepreneurial ventures or bring in technology jobs or things like that to really help them grow? So um, out of that has come out of Indigo Pathway, which is our newest um, project uh -huh. that we're launching this month. I was going to say, okay, I don't see that on your LinkedIn profile. So that's, that's about to launch. Oh, perfect time for you to be on the show then. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's go back to Indigo education then. Let me ask you some questions. So your, your target or your client or your customer, however you refer to them is a school district, a school system. How, how do you identify your target? Yeah, we can certainly work with whole districts and we do work with some medium-sized districts, but mostly we work with individual schools that have the readiness for the kind of intensive work that Indigo is. Indigo is not a check your box kind of program. It's a okay. real deep program that everyone needs to be invested and involved in and you have to change the mindset around what's really important in a school. And so we usually work with alternative schools, charter schools, schools that have um, new approaches to teaching and learning. Those are really good fits for us. Gotcha. And, and they also have the money for it versus public system. I, I'm thinking, I don't know how that works. So it's almost all public. We only have two private schools. Oh, we, okay. we, work with, we work with public schools, but we work with the segments in the public schools that have the desire and readiness to go deeper instead of trying to work with everybody. Not that we wouldn't work with everybody. Okay. Um, but we tend to work with the teachers and the schools that um, most would get the most out of our services. And how does it work? Does every student take it? Is it, vol is it like a voluntary thing? What, what, how does that work? I mean, the school signs up for yeah, it. So usually, so usually every student in the school or in a grade um, you, takes it and all the teachers too. And that's something that's really different about Indigo. We mm. don't feel like you do things to children, right? We're all learning, we're all evolving. So mm -hmm. we do things with children, right? So, so if I'm a teacher and like, I need to be self-aware in order to help the students also be self-aware. So they take the assessment, it takes about 45 minutes. 
And then they usually embed the results of the assessment, which is a DISC profile is one of the assessments we use. You've probably heard of DISC. It's very common oh, yeah. in the corporate world. Yep. So we have a DISC profile, a motivator profile, a soft skill profile, and um, a social emotional learning profile, which is kind of like how you think about yourself and the external world. Mm. And so once you know that about yourself and the students, we have a whole bunch of activities and online courses and different ways that the students can apply that to their own learning and the ways that the teachers can modify and personalize their learning to really meet the needs of each individual student. So there's an assessment that gives you the score and everything and tells you, helps you understand who you are. And then there's exercises and follow-up afterwards. Exactly. And then there's an education educator dashboard where they can get the access to the students and get recommendations on how to best support each student. Ah, very good. What's the business model? Is it by user? Is it number of students? How do you charge? Yeah, yeah. We charge by student. By student. One-time deal or, or? Every year. Oh, I see. It's once a year. Okay, very good. All right. Mm -hmm. All yeah. right. So, you, so your goal is to get them to sign a long-term contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, uh, okay. Very good. And and uh, do you have? I mean, it sounds unique. I've never heard this for students before. Are there competitors knocking on these school doors too? So there's tons of assessments for students, and, and the realm of assessment's a hard word, right? Because in corporate world, we know what an assessment is. It's a personality assessment. It's a hiring assessment. But in the education world, there's like all these different, you know, cognitive assessments, and we, yeah. we would be in the non-cognitive. Right. We're okay. a non-cognitive assessment. It's not about if you can do math or if you right. have vocabulary skills. Right. It's about who you are. How do you communicate? What motivates you? Are you really good at leadership? Or are you creative? So that's more of okay. the type of assessment we, we use. Okay, very good. So we're the most comprehensive assessment in education. Okay. How are you measuring mm -hmm. success? Like what, what is success for you? So success for us is really changing people's lives. So when okay. we get um, when we get testimonials, which we have tons on our YouTube ch channel from teachers that say, wow, that kid, like I thought that kid was a terror, but I really found out they were an entrepreneur. And when I started uh, treating them as a leader and as an entrepreneur and they completely turned around and now they're a leader mm, in my classroom, mm, mm. like that to me is success. Or mm. when a kid comes to me in tears, which has happened so many times I can't even count and say, wow, that assessment really validated who I was. And I used to be ashamed of who I was because it didn't fit in the traditional education system. And, mm. and now I know who I was has purpose. Like to me, that's success. Now what's difficult about that is that's difficult to measure. Yeah. Um, yeah and so that's yeah. been a big challenge for us. Yeah, but still, I mean, testimonials are pretty powerful, right? You get enough of them. That that's that's huge. Okay, very good. Yeah. Tell me about the non. Tell me a little bit more about the nonprofit. Uh, so it's launching this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So the 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 nonprofit's been a lot of really interesting projects. We've you know we've done a lot of work on the Navajo Nation and some really cool work in rural Mississippi. Um, but I what I want to focus on is Indigo Pathway because. Um, Indigo Pathway is a short version of our assessment, so it's only 10 minutes. It's live right now if you want to, we've had a lot of people testing it. It's oh. called indigopathway.com. Okay. And, and it's a 10-minute version of our assessment that has a DISC and a motivators component. And it gives you 
highly personalized feedback on you. So this is run by an AI expert engine. So the results are highly customized. Whereas like if you take strength finders, there's 34 possible results. If you take Myers-Briggs, there's 16 possible results. But we have over a thousand possible results because people are very, very unique. And so you get this highly customized, personalized information on you, tips on what to look for in jobs, how to find jobs, you know, based again on your own decision-making matrix based on you. And then we actually have career matches and all of the career matches on Indigo Pathway do not require a four-year degree because we're really appealing to folks who are unemployed, you know, single parents, people who really don't have time to go back to school and invest four years and tons of money into a new career. Do you have to pay for this when you go to indigopathways.com? How do you, is it free? Completely free, completely free. Wow. Okay. Very good. All right. And you've had to raise cash for this nonprofit back to raising cash. Yeah. Yeah. Just that's totally different though. Philanthropy. We actually just hired a grant writing company here in Denver to help us to raise funding for Indigo Pathway, but we were able to um, utilize some of the PPP funds and some funds from Indigo Education and volunteer time to, to put it up and make it live and free to everyone right now. Why? Why'd you do this with the nonprofit? What led you down that path? I mean, aren't you? You're busy enough running Indigo Education, aren't you? <laughs> I know. That's why I'm not a good fit for anyone. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. I've been trying to figure this out. Right? It's a good question. I think. I think really at first it was because we we had this school that really really wanted to use Indigo and they didn't have the money and we needed to create a nonprofit to get the grant to get them to use it and then we had this nonprofit. And then we started doing things with it. Um, I think for me, the real answer is, I think that, that for a lot of people like myself who are social entrepreneurs, or even you could go as far as spiritual entrepreneurs, people who are doing businesses to try to elevate the consciousness of humanity, the for-profit and the nonprofit, neither one really fit us. And so it's like having a hybrid model. Mm. We're trying to figure out how to fit into the ecosystem and because there isn't a place in the ecosystem for spiritual entrepreneurs, a lot of us have hybrid models because we're trying to figure out how to make it work because we care about doing the work and like, however the money comes by doing the work, that's fine. But there isn't like a, there isn't a lane defined for folks like us yet. Mm, gotcha. Okay. Very good. How many employees you got? So I've got six full-time employees and okay. about six part-time employees. Oh, not only are you an entrepreneur, but now you have, you've had to teach yourself how to be a CEO. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what advice would you give job seekers today based on interviews and stuff you've done over the last few years? Um, maybe you want to give advice on common mistakes or, you know, something you see in interviews on a regular basis, anything you want to, you want to say to people, we have a lot of, uh, career-minded uh, job seeker folks listening to the podcast. So any advice for them? Yeah. So I would say that they should interview the employer. Like it's just as important as the employer is interviewing them for them to interview the employer and see if it's a good fit. Mm -hmm. And so, because they're not going to perform well, they're not going to be happy and they're not going to um, really be their best selves if they take a, if they try to 
stick themselves into the job, right? You want to you wanna have a job that's a good fit for who you are. So interviewing the employer is important. And if they want some tips on how to interview the employer or things about themselves that they want to keep in mind, they can take the Indigo Pathway and get those tips and use that as part of their interview process. Mm. I like that. I would also include, you know, for the listeners, if you're unemployed and you're trying to get a job, right? I under, I, I get it, right? You're you're stretched on cash, you're, you're eating through your savings, whatever, you're behind on your mortgage, whatever your situation might be. And so you're like, oh my God, I, I got to get this job because I, I, I have to pay the rent or whatever. And so people yeah. get feel people feel this pressure to take jobs that don't really fit them because of the the, the financial piece. Um, That's right. I would just encourage the listener to kind of try to understand that thirty more days to find the right job is not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt anything. <laughs> you know, you're not if you're if you're behind yeah. on a couple of bills, thirty more days is not gonna make a difference. So go ahead and wait and find the job that really fits you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm a little bit more um, intense about this because, you know, my dad, you know, we, after he got out of the military, he had a really hard time finding work and he ended up taking a job at a prison, which he hated. And like, I grew up watching and I'm an empath, so I can feel my dad's pain, Mm. taking a job that he hated that never really brought out the best in him, but then he could never leave because he didn't have a college degree and he was in the state system and there was good benefits and retirement. And now he's trapped. Right. And so, you know, I watched my dad go through this my whole life and it's really not worth it. Like, yes, we could eat and we survived as a family, but you know, it would have been better if he could find, Mm -hmm. if he could have found a job that was more fulfilling for him. Mm, That's a powerful example. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, how about entrepreneurial advice? Let's switch to entrepreneurial advice. You've been through, well, you kind of worked for a startup in a smaller company and ended up running some stuff, like you said, before Indigo. Uh, so yeah. you've been around, been around it for a while and then you started Indigo from the ground up. <laughs> uh, how about some advice for the aspiring entrepreneur out there thinking about launching something? Yeah, I know that's like, we could do a two hour podcast on that topic, but any uh, few tips yeah. you want to leave them? Well, I would say number one is if you want to do it, you should try it and you can start doing it while you have another job, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have to be all in a hundred percent to start, which a lot of people think, think yeah. that. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so that would be, I guess my number one advice. <laughs> it's so true, right? You don't have to just push all your chips to the table right away. Now, I do think eventually you have to push your, your chips all the way in yeah. if you really want to make them go. You do. But you don't have to do that so early in the game, right? You you can ease your way in and and proof of concept, make sure you get some traction, you know, all the rest of it. It, it is okay to do it part time, um, you know. Now, every guest that's ever come on this podcast will always say, you know, if you really want to make it go, you gotta you gotta dive all in, and that's true. It's true. You do eventually, but you don't have to start that way. And most people, quite frankly, don't have the money to start that way. So. You know, start, right. start something on the side, but of course, starting something on the side, on the side means nights, weekends, holidays, and all those, uh, all the time you're supposed to be hanging out with your friends at the golf course. You can, you can, you can push all that aside. Cause if you're doing a startup on the side, you, you have no free time. <laughs> Zero. None. And when you start it, you, when you're all in, you have less free time. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Everybody thinks everybody, you know, they, Oh my God, you own your own business. It's so cool. 
it can be, you know, once, once you get an established business, sure. Are there some owners out there that have had, that have an established business that, you know, work 20 hours a week now, you know, that they've been running it for years and years. Yeah, there are some, but uh, that doesn't happen for a long time. <laughs> no. no. Uh, right. Um, okay. Very good. Sherry, just a couple of final questions here. Um, if you had to call your 21 year old self, well, I guess when you came out, of, when you got your bachelor's, you were probably 20, probably, huh? 1920. Mm-hmm. I to, was, yeah. If you had to call that young lady and give her any advice, knowing what you know now, what would you tell her? I think I would tell her, and I've told a lot of young women this, that you can't mess up your life. Be- because people really think like you're going to make mistakes, right? And I made so many mistakes, especially 21 was the year I got married for the first time. And that was like a huge mistake. And um, and I, I, I thought, I always thought like somehow when I was young, I thought your life just gets better and better. And like, finally, someday you like arrive and you're like happy and you know stuff, which I don't know why I thought that because no one in my life had arrived, but I really thought you could arrive. And then I thought somehow you could like mess up your life. And the truth is, as long as you keep going, as long as you're still alive, as long as you're breathing, like you cannot mess up your life because like all of the failures actually help you grow and make you a better person and so i really feel like i wish someone would have told me when i was 21 don't worry you can't mess up your life (laughs) that's pretty good sherry that's good stuff i like that i like that a lot very good okay last question if you had to put your core purpose in life now into a Mm -hmm. sentence what what would that sound like so I would like to redefine value in society so that people mm. don't mm. think of money and power and like traditional Western success as value, but that every single human being, every single um, intrinsic person has value. And that could be different for different people. So really helping be part of the shift of society towards what is valuable and how do we define our own value. That is a lofty goal, my friend. That is, if uh, you're you're pushing up against the hill, you're, you're pushing the rock up the hill. I like it. I love it. By the way, I'm just like, oh wow, you know, it is true, right? It is sad that just everybody's life, not everybody, a lot of people, their lives are just all about things. And you know, if if I make a certain amount of money, that means I'm successful. If I live in a certain neighborhood, it means so you know whatever. The, it's it's crazy how we measure our lives like that, isn't it? A lot of people. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, like and it's got to change. <laughs> I like that core purpose. I like that core purpose, Sherry. Now I will tell you what what I find interesting is as I get older, I'm 53, and as I get older, especially now that I'm over 50 every year that goes by, I am less and less concerned with things or yeah. tr- trying to impress a neighbor or where I live or, or, or you know, I, I'm really just so, uh, I'm not focused on any of that hardly anymore. Now it's all about where am I spending time? Am I doing what I want to do? Am I making a difference in somebody's life? Like I measure it so much differently now that I'm over 50. Um, and yeah. I know other people, other people like that as they get older, you're, the, what you're saying is we got, we got to get the 20 and 30 and 40 year olds to think more like that. 
<laughs> yeah. And I think more 50 year olds, right? I mean, you know, vertical development theory, you know, a lot of people aren't really getting to those adult stages of growth. And thank God we get older. I think like aging is like one of the greatest gifts of God because like it does humble us. It does get that mm -hmm. ego down a little bit and gets us yep. to think about things that are more important. But our society is still really pretty obsessed with youth if it you is. think about it. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. isn't it? I don't know about mm -hmm. you. I, I'm just happy if I feel good when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm only 40, but I feel that way. <laughs> uh, Sherry, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate you having me. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.